All right, hello. We're back on your list, my command. And uh, Derek, on this episode, you have chosen a movie for me, uh, so I'm a little concerned. Uh, so, what have what have you chosen for uh, for me to watch and us to talk about here? So, uh, in I guess this is our episode two, episode two yep. of my yep. gosh, we're already almost all the way to 150 episodes. Um, yes. <laughs> we are going to be covering sex, lies, and videotape. You're correct. That was uh, you know my choice for a film that I thought Dave should have seen by now, but he hasn't. I don't know how. Um, he's never <clears throat> come across it. Had, had you ever? Uh, I mean, was it something that was on you know your to do list for a number of years, or it just was something that was under the radar? So yes and no. So this is a movie it came out in 1989. I was 10 years old, right? Fifth grade. So like, I guess around sixth or seventh grade, I'd heard about this. And sure. as you, as you kind of prefaced at the end of our last episode, it is one of those movies that you're like, Ooh, that's, that's a, that's a movie I'm not supposed to see. There's, there's things in there. I'm not, it's not appropriate. Uh, so it has that, it had that in my head for a while. And then, for whatever reason, it just kind of like faded from my list of things to watch and which is really ridiculous considering the director is Steven Soderbergh, who's one of my favorites. Like I like most of his movies actually last year. Uh, my favorite movie of the year was Let Them All Talk, which was a Soderbergh movie. So he's definitely a director who I really like and appreciate. And I think the reason so this is very strange, like the way the human brain works is very odd to me. So follow me here. OK, Sex, Lies and Videotape. Came out in 89. Around that time, in 88 or 89, uh, Rob Lowe got in trouble for filming a sex tape that happened to feature someone who was underage. I think she was 17. And my brain connected these two things together. So I thought Sex, Lies, and Videotape was a Rob Lowe movie. Um, So, you know, and it's very much not. Uh, It just happens to be the same time period where this happened. Should have been. Should have been. A Rob Lowe movie. Instead Uh, of James Spader. No, I don't think so. Oh, well, we've got to I, talk about that. All right. So I actually saw something online about this, how it's like someone uh, tweeted, like, there are way too many movies, way too many sex movies with James Spader in it. How is this possible? And it's because that dude is a fucking freak. Uh, I'm convinced. Like, you got this, you got Crash. You're kidding I mean, me. Like, You're kidding. Like, I honestly, was that was going to be one of my talking points of this episode was that I couldn't wrap my head around why I see James Spader in so many of these movies from like the late 80s and early 90s. Like he's like a, a sex god in I, countless, I mean, the fact, I don't want to say this is a negative, but there are just too many movies with him as like the number one guy in it. I, I've never been a huge fan of his. I don't know if you, you, you have been, um, but you're telling me you don't think it'd be better with, with Rob Lowe. I don't. Uh, oh, I, don't, I, don't I mean, I don't think Rob Lowe's a very good actor, so there's that piece of it. Um, I think I think the movies I really like James Spader in are the movies that are not um, they're not straightforward. Like, it, it, there are some movies with James Spader where people look at him and they're like, "Oh my God, this beautiful this beautiful god of sex!" I just cannot possibly say no to him. I think the movies like this and like Crash, where he's a little bit off center and hmm. you're not sure if he's gonna like have sex with someone or kill them. And that, that works for James Spader really, really well. And I think this is kind of what started it. Like, I think this is what started him in those kind of roles. So I think Soderbergh, you know, for better or worse, saw something in him that was like, he is both disturbing and sexy. I was going to say, I'm going to bring him in here. Yeah. I was, I was going to say most of the time when I've seen him in anything, I'm thinking, well, he's got to be the bad guy. Like there's <laughs> something um, inherently unsettling about his his presence or his gaze yes. 
And so, <laughs> in that regard, you know, Rob Lowe aside, uh, you're, you're connecting the dots with Rob Lowe in this film aside. I get why he would be cast in this particular role, but then it's going to raise some questions for me about why someone, anyone would ever choose to willingly go to his house, um, <laughs> to, to shoot, you know, videos in which they talk about sex. So, uh, like I said, first time, uh, watch for you. Did you have any sort of outside of the Rob Lowe stuff, um, kind of expectations for what this what type of film this would be? My expectations is that I would be disappointed. Uh, hmm. My expectation, because, you know, anytime you have a great director and you've got a first feature, there's going to sure. be, like, you know, even even Scorsese, who I absolutely love. Like, if you watch if you watch something like Mean Streets, which is a very good movie, but in comparison to how polished he becomes as a director later, you're kind of like, okay, I can kind of see, I see the framework. you're going to get there, but you're not quite there yet. Um, and so that's what I expected out of this from Soderbergh. And I could not be more wrong. Hmm. Um, I cannot believe that this was a first feature like this. This is so good from a first feature perspective that it makes me legitimately angry. Like, how dare you? How dare you come out of the box like this? Like with this, like amazing movie. Like, honestly, my only, my only complaint about this movie is I think... It's not that Andy McDowell is miscast. I just don't think she's a very good actress, like just in general. Like she just, you know, there's a there's a falseness to her that doesn't really work for me. And I get what they're going for because they're going for the repression yes. angle here. And she plays that very well, but there's such a presenta- presentationality to it that it keeps me at a little bit too much of a distance. Um, but I do really, like you had mentioned, like, you know, James Vader, not exactly who you picture as, like, the sex god. And I think putting him in comparison to Peter Gallagher is perfect because Peter Gallagher is very good-looking. He's very masculine. He's got the hairy chest. He's very, you know, confident about everything, even when he shouldn't be. And then you got James Vader, who's like, oh, I can't possibly get it up with another person. <laughs> like, you couldn't get more different. And because he's so skinny and so kind of spindly and gangly and, like, you know, I think 90% of his body weight is his hair. Like, he's just, like... Too much hair. Tiny, Too much he's, hair. Got, he's got a lot going on there. He's got, like, um, you know, Patrick Swayze from uh, uh, from the 80s hair, yeah. but... But with like half of the body mass, it's very strange. Um, so I think that's a really, really smart decision. But the thing I find most interesting about this movie, Derek, is – and tell me if I'm reading too much into this. I think this is – this character of Graham is an indictment of Soderbergh himself, hmm. um, the man behind the camera, right, who can't – be engaged in any real emotion in front of the camera in this movie in the real world. But you see when he's filming these people, when he's talking to these women on camera, he's funny. He's engaging. He's sexy. He asks questions that he wouldn't ask in a normal situation. And I think that says a lot about film directors too, is that like, I'm not comfortable being there where you are. But I can be here asking questions, getting you to that point. And that's all I kept thinking about as I was was watching the movie. I think that is an an interesting point that I don't necessarily – I won't say I disagree with it actually at all. I I think it's probably more common than what we – would even suggest right like that especially when you look at so many male directors that kind of cast maybe the same actor or two for a, a period right. of time right like so if you are me De Niro, yeah exactly <laughs> like you are what i wish that i could say um you could almost especially in like the you know 
the 2020s. Um, you could also make that argument about the, the second, almost like the second world that we live in with social media, right? And all, you know, not just like the influencer, but influencers, but all of us, right? We get to have this persona that can, if we want it to exist outside of who we are in our, in our day in and, and day out lives. Um, it reminds me of a movie. I think it's called eighth grade that came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. This, this young girl who's you know bullied and, and she's kind of looked at as kind of just uninteresting and kind of lame, but she creates this presence and Man, that's what Gucci. so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, so, I mean, you could see that, that, that parallel may exist, right? Like that is, that is Spader, uh, where he doesn't, necessarily find any sort of in enjoyment maybe as much as he could or should in just basic human interaction without having this uh extra appendage that is attached mm-hmm. to him right like right. it is me having to go it's it, he's like a one-legged man in an ass kicking contest unless he has <laughs> uh yep. unless he has his his uh camcorder i guess it's what they were you know we called it back then uh, unless yep. he has that uh by his side um uh, the whole way throughout it is interesting that you dislike or no, i won't say that you dislike but that you don't necessarily love the casting of of andy mcdowell because i love it uh, probably my favorite character in the entire film. Oh, no, come on. Like the best character, the best character is clearly Cynthia. Laura, oh my Cynthia God. Como, oh, God bless her. My dream um, woman. That's, Jesus. that's... Re- really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is weird that, uh, two sisters still, you know, they didn't learn the first, you know, mistake of sharing the same man because then they still have questionable interactions with James Spader, like right after that. And it's like, this Seems won't fine. be, an, yeah, Seems this won't be an issue at all. <laughs> learning from our mistakes. I, you know, you did hit the nail on the head. You kind of got in front of of maybe my defense of Andy McDowell. Maybe you probably, you know, you probably knew I was going to defend her when you were saying, you know, she does. I had a feeling. Yeah, she fits what you are, which what you're going for, right? The the repression, but you know, maybe a little too polished. But I think that's also the idea of being, you know, the the spouse. uh, You know, especially you know, not too far removed from a society that has this general expectation that she should be just kind of a trophy wife of Mm -hmm. where's. She doesn't really have a lot of, at least at first glance, anything interesting. And she kind of does present that she is okay or that she would, right? Like if she were hanging out with girlfriends, we could assume that she would have this presentation that, of course, my husband, uh, he has this wonderful career. We have this wonderful marriage, this wonderful life together. The interesting thing about this film, though, is it leads with essentially us finding out how unhappy she is in these Mm -hmm. really private moments right with other men who are not her husband it doesn't matter if it's her her therapist it doesn't matter if it's james spader she still isn't opening up to the to the extent that she could initially but she's telling us okay yeah i'm not that polished i am not that happy right like this all kind of kind of sucks in some way but her character would never say suck right like she that's not that's not you know the role at which she plays i like that about her but i also like her as an actress not necessarily because I think she's a great one, but I like her presence. They're, they're, mm. I, and I think they may have, you know, Soderbergh may have went with her presence more so than, you know, her her ability necessarily. I don't know if you yeah. think that or, or if you saw that or, or not or, or what. No, no, I think that's a good point. And I think, you know, whether you like Andy McDowell or not, you're, you're going to like her or dislike her in everything she's in. Because uh, she has a not that she's not. I'm not saying she doesn't do anything different or right. she always plays the same character, but she does have that same presence, right? She has a certain stylistic choice 
that she's doing, whether it's this or Four Weddings and a Funeral. Like, it's, you know, it's Annie McDowell. She's doing her thing. As Although you I guess did, I love that movie. <laughs> I did, I did really like her in Magic Mike XXL. I think that's the only mm. time I've really liked her. Cause, cause it was a little bit different. She was a little bit more passionate. She was a little yeah. bit, she was funnier, you know, like a little was, alluring. Even, yeah, 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 and and you know, and she shouldn't be in this movie, but she's definitely not. I wouldn't call her alluring in this movie because she is trying to figure herself out, which is, I think, is a really interesting way to introduce your character. I was wondering what you thought about the the therapist scenes because I'm very torn um, on this as a trick because uh, basically what it's doing, and it's a really it's really smart, sure. and maybe it's because this was done in 1989, and I've seen it a thousand times. A thousand times since then, but it's a little cheap where you're just like, I'm going to show you the innermost workings of this person's mind because this they're talking to their therapist. Right. So it's it's like it's no different from a ridiculous voiceover, right? I mean, you might as well just have a voiceover be like, in this moment, I was feeling this because that's essentially what's happening here. So did, does any of that get on your nerves, maybe in this movie or in movies in general? Not really. I'll say this. I know that that's what I'm being gifted with, right? Like, you're setting the tone for the entirety of the movie that um, you know, she is unhappy. You don't have to see her her interactions with her spouse that she doesn't want to be touched. We're gifted with that pretty early on. Um, I don't know that how— way, That way Annie McDowell doesn't have to act, so that's good. <laughs> I can't believe I'm having to defend her. She's she's getting railroaded because she was cast because uh, she'd just basically just be able to walk in and be Andy McDowell. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll say this. I, by contrast, is would this film be considered a better film if we were given 20 more minutes where we watch her kind of coldly not want to be touched by her husband? Because that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the trade-off, right? Like, we're, we're not being gifted with a whole lot of information, but we're getting the tone of her marriage and how she views, um, uh, you know, the dynamics of sex, right? Mm-hmm. Like that she's kind of buttoned up. So if we trade that out and you get rid of that scene and now you give me 20 minutes where, um, you know, her husband's trying to like lift up her, her, her nightgown and she's like, no, I don't like that now. <laughs> Does it make it better for me? Probably not. Uh, yeah, but I, do, I do get your point, and I can see why, especially with what we we do uh, for a living. Well, it's like I I don't really need like I don't really need this. Like this isn't you're not even doing it right. Like that's always what I. <laughs> it is. I mean, that's a piece of it for sure. Whereas, like you know, for those who didn't listen to our trailer, both of us um, ha- are or have been therapists. or both in the mental health field, so it can always be difficult to watch your profession on screen. I. I also pity folks who are lawyers who have to watch movies because, sure. like, that is a very common thing. Like, oh, that's not how any of this works. Like, and then you have to go, like, okay, yeah, but it's a movie. It has to be dramatic. So you have to make, you know, you have to take certain license. Uh, they don't care fine. about me, about go open-ended questions. Like, that's not. No. <laughs> and there is, I mean, you bring that up, but there is a lot of moments in this movie where, like, Jesus, you are just going to fucking attack this woman, are you? Okay, I guess that's all right. Um, and there's, there's a lot of moments between her and her therapist where... I don't know. I expect her to be more upset than she is because this man is kind of attacking her. Yeah. And and if you look at her in the rest of her life, she doesn't take kindly to people calling her on her shit. Um, and again, you know, that is the glory of being a therapist is you get to do that and say, well, that's my job. Uh, so sorry, but I get to do that with you and no one else does. Um, but it does ring uh, the tiniest bit hollow 
to me uh, that she's not reacting strongly in those scenes because it still feels like that character would um, in those moments. But I also think that you're right that given what this movie is actually about and where it goes, I think if you wasted time with the interactions between her and this man, um, I'm Locked not up. sure to... I'm not sure it works. I'm I'm not sure you I I think you would probably care less about her if you saw that. I think it's it's one thing to say it, hmm. but to watch a person completely closed off from sexual connection, it can make an audience turn against that person, especially if it's not said in no uncertain terms. Like when Spader says it, when Graham says it, when he tells her his secret. Can I tell you something personal? It's up to you. Can I tell you something personal? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta go first. Okay. Oh. I think that, um, I think the sex is overrated. I think that people place far too much importance on it. And I think that stuff about women want it just as bad as men is crap. I mean, I think that women want it. I just don't think that they want it for the same reason that men think they do. And I'm getting confused. And do you understand what I I'm... Did yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember reading somewhere that men learn to love the person that they're attracted to. And that women become more and more attracted to the person that they love. God, that's that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. <laughs> I like that. <clears throat> it's, I'm just quoting. So are you going to tell me something personal? Do you want me to? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I don't want it to be something gross about some scar or something. I want it to be something <laughs> really personal about yourself. You know, All right, okay. Do. I'm impotent. You're what? Impotent. <clears throat> you are? Yeah, I, I mean, I, well, I can't, I can't get an erection in the presence of another person. So, for all practical purposes, I'm impotent. You know, and that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie where they're just like, I think they're at like a coffee shop together and he tells her the secret about himself that he's impotent and they talk about it very frankly. It's, I think that is the scene where either the movie works for you or don't. Because hmm. to me, that interaction is so endearing that you get why they care about one another and you get why it's such a blow when she finds out about him that like you know he's doing these things that she feel like are beyond the pale and i can't possibly be involved in anything like that because before that he seems like a kind genuine man um which is the opposite of this horrible man that she lives with right (laughs) who like is introduced as kind of like you know basically oh this wedding ring is like spanish fly like oh i can't keep the bitches off me when i wear my (laughs) wedding ring you're like oh god this guy is gross and that is his introduction and he kind of gets worse from there um, like he doesn't Does it let get him better. off the well and to your point would it let him off the hook 
at least in some regard, if we were given those scenes of them interacting and she's like, I don't want him to touch me. Right. Um, and I think we feel a little more pity for him. I think so. Than, than we should. Because she even, because she even had to, to kind of expound on that very idea in therapy. Like, well, or I, I think it was in therapy where she's like, well, I mean, he didn't want to touch me first. <laughs> like yeah. he was kind of done with me first. And we you know, obviously see that he's sleeping around with her sister and things of that nature. But if it's just like that scene of them to, in, a, in an embrace and she's cold and distant, um, not, I'm not saying that I would co-sign this, but I'm saying you're going to have folks that are in the audience that are going to say, well, I mean, he's in a loveless marriage, right? Like right. we're going to start to at least go to bat for him a little bit more than we should. I like that we get more scenes of him just being an outright asshole. Yep. Um, and, and like you said, he's kind of ultimately dismissive of his marriage. He's dismissive really of everyone. Um, unless they're there to, to kind of cater to his whims or his needs, even his friend, right? Like he, he, uh, you know, James Spader's character, Graham, when he comes over, you can tell there's like a, this element of just like judgment. Like I don't, you were my friend nine years ago, but this you're still kind of, you're, you're beneath me. You're dressed like you're going right. to a funeral. Your hair doesn't have, you know, uh, like any like pomade in it. Like what's like, what, where are your suspenders at? Um, and I like that, right? Like it's almost a, I don't know if you ever watched the show and I was actually texting, um, um, a good friend of ours, Mike about this, a fellow podcaster about this a couple of weeks ago. And I think I'd heard either on a podcast with you guys or him and someone else, or he'd said something about the show 30 something, um, it was like an, a late eighties, you know, like drama about these baby boomers kind of, you know, going through parenthood and, and, um, their careers. And I couldn't help but think that every time, um, I saw her husband, uh, in the office with his suspenders and his hair slicked back and he's that guy, right? Like he is, you know, well to do. He's perfect, um, mm-hmm. in this imperfect life that he built for her. Uh, and right. he doesn't care that it's imperfect. He it it is of no use to him whatsoever. It's very similar. We you know kind of talked about why these two films are are together, like the you know the movie that we did in in week one um, about a, a husband who is completely closed off to the concerns, um, the problems, the the hurt and the pain of the spouse that they're with. They just don't care. Uh, and I think that plays out here. And, and it's it's. It's also evident in how mad he gets when he finds out, wait, these trinkets of mine may be, uh, you know, being played with, right, by this friend of mine who's beneath me. Right? He's enraged because now what is his, what's pure, uh, someone else has had their hand in the cookie mm. jar. Um, it does sound similar to the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover. Actually, yes, I'm so glad you said that. See, yeah. every time. Love it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. very similar in that regard. Don't touch what belongs to me, even if I won't take care of it. Right. Or even if I have done exactly that to you, which we find out at the end of the movie. Uh, like the whole reason James Spader's character is impotent, supposedly in this movie, is like he feels like he lost his chance at the love of his life and he wasn't a good partner to her and he pushed her away. Um, and I find it interesting that, you know, our, our enemy in this movie, this asshole, all the asshole things he does actually end up bringing our couple together, right? Cheats on his wife, treats her like garbage. So she goes off to Graham and is willing to film this video, right? To talk about her and sexuality and all that. And then at the near the very end of the movie, he tells Graham, oh, actually, like, oh, it wasn't about you. I fucked her. Like, that's... She wasn't what do you think that about great? how he presented that? Nice. Like that he just said it so in such a throwaway 
comment before walking off. Did you like how he presented that to him? I I did because I think if he doesn't do it that way, I think as the audience were like, is he telling the truth? Like, right. or is this just like a presentation? Is he trying to like get one over on him and twist the knife? But because he says it so nonchalantly, you're like, oh, that's real. And basically by him saying that, that pushes the two of them together. Right. And now they have a happy, sexual, fulfilling relationship. You know, and I I think that's a really interesting choice. And I think this movie is, it's really interesting to me because there are moments of this movie that are really sexy and really sexually charged. And, but those moments, nothing really happens other than the sister character. Everything right. she does is sexually charged and stuff happens because she is all about that life and God bless her for that. Um, but the sequence where, you know, she basically, our lead character basically admits that she's never had an orgasm. Um, and she's asking him about that. Like, can you, can you do that for a woman? And he's like, and he tells her yes. And that moment is like, oh man, some shit's about to go down here. And then he's like, but it won't. Cause I can't, cause I can't get it up, which is a little like, I watched this movie, of course, with 2021 eyes. And that's sure. a little like, dude, you know, even if you can't get it up, doesn't mean you can't make a woman orgasm. You can't be a part of that. Like you got, you got a tongue, you got fingers, get to work. You know, but he is just like so wrapped Removed up from it. In a, yeah. yeah, he's just like, nope, nope. It's I can't, I can't physically react to it, so I can't do anything here. Which right. I think is a very, it's a very straight male reaction sure. uh, to sex as well. Um, so it makes sense that this is, you know, this is also written by Soderbergh, and this is coming from his perspective. And I think, I think there's a lot of truth in what he's talking about here with these type of characters. And I mean, I just can't get over how much I like this movie. Like I was really expecting to not dislike it, but expecting to have the reaction you did to our first movie of like, all right, I can respect, I can respect what you did there. I see where you're headed, but mm, not for me, but this is like, I mean, I think I rated it four and a half stars, uh, on Letterboxd. It's probably higher than I would, which I still, I mean, I like the film, but I liked it a lot. I, I just thought it was so, so interesting. Like there's only like two, like, you know, qualms I have with it. And they're both pretty minor is that I don't love Andy McDowell, but I don't think you need to love her performance to love this movie. I think, even though she is, do you need not, to care about what she's, what she, do you need to care about the fact that she's being cheated on by her spouse with her, yeah, sister, you know, with, I are think, you supposed to care enough about that for this to matter or would I that think, be irrelevant to James Spader? Uh, it's not irrelevant. I think there's two things that you need from her character. You need to know that, um, that her spouse is a piece of shit and he carries, he does a lot of the heavy lifting there from the very beginning and you need to care about her and james spader together right Hmm. and i think the movie accomplishes that i think where i tend to drift away from her is when james spader isn't there and she's like interacting with her husband or interacting with her sister because like all the time she's interacting with her sister i was like your sister's right you should fucking stop bitching like stop complaining jesus christ life is not that bad get over it you know, and I think there's uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff that could have even been explored more between the sisters because you have this very much like Annie McDowell is the perfect, sure. you know, the perfect daughter, and she is like the quote unquote fuck up. And I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there, and I kind of wish that would been a, that would have been explored a little more because I think that is what Annie McDowell is really good at. Right. Is that you could see her being the perfect child and the one who is the people pleaser. Like you get that. And I would have wanted even a little bit more of that. But I think as long as you have those two things. And the thing I find really interesting about me watching this movie is that I could not stand her spouse um, who was cheating on her. But her sister, who 
she, he was cheating on with. I'm like, yeah, she's all right though. That she's is good. that is interesting. So why did why let her off the hook, right? Like why are we so okay with even the the pretty brief resolution that yeah you know the two sisters make? Um, what's different about either? how she interacts with everyone else or just the characterization itself to where we're so apt to be like, well, I mean, you weren't the one that was bound by marriage just by blood to not do this. <laughs> but that's okay. That. I think, I think the reason I'm forgiving other than the fact that she is very pretty, uh, that helps, but also it, her actions and the way she interacts with her sister pushes her sister towards growth, right? Hmm. Her interactions with her spouse don't do that. It just makes things worse. But her and her sister talking about this stuff and like when it all goes down and like her kind of coming clean to her and being like, this is what is happening. And this is why pushes her towards her connection with Spader's character, with Graham. So, so saying, I think, so she should you, be thanking. I was going to say, you know, that's where I was going. <laughs> so so the, the sister's prime argument should be, I fucked your husband. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Absolutely. Be a better person. Yes. Yes. And I think also, you know, I don't know what this says about me, but I think I would have a much worse reaction if her sister was like, oh, I'm in love with him. Hmm. Right. That's why I'm doing it. I'd be like, oh, God, here we fucking go. Like, stop it. You are not like you're just doing this. Like, I think I admire the honesty of that character. She knows what she's doing is fucked up. She freely admits it. And she knows she's doing it purely for one sexual satisfaction and two to get one over on her sister who's right. always been the perfect one and she's very upfront about all that like she doesn't she doesn't really hide it like she wants to she wants to fuck him in her sister's house like she's like i don't give a shit I just, that'll, that'll really fucking twist the knife yeah how about that but i agree i think it'd be a little bit too melodramatic if there's a moment where you know the sister's you know teary-eyed like i'm so sorry i shouldn't have done that clearly you knew what you're yeah. doing and to some extent you kind of just don't care that much maybe oh. you should care a little bit more but it, we don't need those moments where they have this warm embrace either that's mm-hmm. that's not their relationship clearly that's i don't think that you're expected to have that general takeaway even if they you know even if they're able to, to kind of make amends um in in some regard I, listen i i do really like this this film um it is one where you can make the argument that like, there's not a lot of like high ebbs and flows, even you know, even when uh, uh, you know Mulaney, I think that's the, the the name of the husband of the film, John Mulaney. Right? It when cracks he... me up that his name is John Mulaney. Yeah, yeah. and I didn't realize it until like maybe the last five minutes of the movie, and I literally laughed out loud <laughs> when they're like John Mulaney, and I was like, what? <laughs> it's spelled differently, but still, like. Do you like how he found out about everything that was going on? He, he basically kicks the door down and whips James Spader's ass and just kind of throws him. I mean, it like, does, James, like it, he doesn't. Put it up does much feel in his own yeah. Ass. It does feel a little bit like you know kicking the shit out of a twelve year old. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I outweigh James Spader, and I'm not that big of a dude. Like this, is, this is not going to go well. Someone and locks love, you out of your own house. You might right? at least break a window. Maybe something. Well, I, lo- I love that Spader like doesn't even fight back because he knows. Like he's like, okay, here here it comes, and he's such a such a self punisher in this movie that sure. like he's like, fine, this is fine, this is actually what I want. Go ahead. Doesn't like, this in some way compromise though his his you know his promise to all these women, including uh, you know Andy McDowell and, and her sister uh, Laura? Like like isn't he sitting there uh, when he promises them, hey, like, no one will see this but me. 
I can assure you. <laughs> and then one punch, like one punch yeah. by John, thrown it out the door, and he's like, well, I gave it my best. I'm well, sorry about what's about to be unearthed in this house. Like, it, yes. he's kind of compromising, you know, his his promises to all of these, you know, these various women that he's, you know, it's they true. hold this. It's true. It's, um, <laughs> granted, you know, this guy probably outweighs him by about 55 pounds of muscle and he probably is, uh, he'd probably kill him with his bare hands if he wanted to. So I understand the fear, but it is an interesting choice that the movie makes. And it does feel like in that way, like, okay, this is the first feature. We got to find a way to wrap this right. up and I don't really know. I've written myself into a little bit of a corner here because earlier in the movie, he's like, no, I can't tell you. I can't show you any of these. And also I'm not going to tell you that your sister is uh, helping your husband cheat because, uh, you know. We got to keep that private, right? But then you know this guy kicks down his door. He's like, "Here, here, check all the tapes." What a, <laughs> like it does kind of like just like stop, red carpet stop hurting here. me. Yes, absolutely. Which I mean, he he he. I don't know. I I, I agree that you know it, it's probably not going to go well for him if he tries to kick, you know kick his own door back down and and try <laughs> to stop him from from doing that. But he's probably also just kind of dealing with maybe even a, a semblance of like guilt. Like I I shouldn't. Like, I, I shouldn't have these tapes of this man's wife. Like, regardless right. of what he's done, uh, I, clearly I've, I've kind of, like, washed my hands of it. I'm not going to, to inject myself in that relationship. But now, I, you know, I've recorded these these really intimate conversations, and maybe this is what I deserve. Like, I deserve for, you know, my friend to come in here and find the, these videotapes with his spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not going to fight. Because this is what I deserve in, in right. some regard. Right. And I think he feels like that in general. Like, I think if yeah. if he could have put himself in a position to have the shit beaten out of him, like, years ago, he probably would. Like, it's just like, I, I deserve everything I've done because I wronged this woman, even though you know by the end. Like, no, uh, actually, you are not the asshole in this situation. <laughs> not at all. But he feels that way. And I think I think that's another thing Spader is really good at. Uh, I think you can imagine him as being that person who, like, just oh, self, sure. self-flagellates self about mistakes he has made in his past. Because, like, let's be real. If you have lived longer than 25 years on this planet, um, you're going to look back at some of the choices you made, specifically in relationships, and be like, oof, God, I was an asshole. But right. you kind of, like, at some point, you got to let that shit go, or you're going to have a real rough time of it, right? Sure. And I think this character is exactly that, the person who just can't let go of that, and be like, yeah, I fucked up, and that person hates me now. I mean, I feel like I'm, in many ways, living that. Like, I am just a couple years shy of a divorce, and that woman, for some valid reasons and some invalid, despises me. And that hurts but you have to get okay with that or you're never going to move on with your life. And this character is like in this holding pattern. And that's what, that's what these interviews end up being. It's like, it's a way for him to continue to be stuck and talk to other people about this because he can't possibly move forward with his life. And I'm, you know, as we're talking about this, I have IMDB up as I always do. And, if you're on that app, you'll know if you stop at a movie, it'll just cycle through images of the movie as you go. And I just saw a, a, a still that you probably must have fucking hated. And I forgot that the scene was in there. There's a scene of James Fader, sexy ass James Fader, just like lounging <sighs> naked, watching these tapes. And like Derek must have been so sickened, so sickened <laughs> by this. It'd only been made worse if you were eating while this was going down. <laughs> But you, you did bring up being in a very similar position as James Spader, so I'm sure you have a boatload of tapes under your bed mm-hmm. somewhere. No comment. No <laughs> comment. No. Do we're you, not going there. Uh, are you, 
are you at least a little taken aback by the it, what seems to be the ease through which he's able to kind of get these women to to kind of come into his home and be so open about such especially for the time really intimate details about their mm. um their perception of sex and and you know what gets them off quite honestly is that with his with his character and like we talked about the intensity of you know, him just being in you know present with you does that so- shock you or surprise you mm. no um so the reason it doesn't shock me is that i don't know, i think if you spend any time talking to women about what they don't like about being with men, right? Yeah, this is running joke on the internet, like, is that, you know, well, clearly sexuality is not a choice, because who would possibly choose to be attracted to straight men? Because they're the fucking worst. And a lot of that comes from men in general. This is not not all men. uh, Being bad listeners, Hmm. right? And not being actually interested in what women have to say and waiting for their time to speak as opposed to actually engaging with women. And that's exactly what he's doing is he's asking questions. And I, I like the fact that you see him asking follow-up questions. It's not just like, Oh, what was your first sexual experience? What did you like? What didn't you like? They'll mention something and he'll be like, Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. It's actually like, he's probably a better therapist than the therapist in this movie. There's a lot of open-ended questions. Yeah. There's a lot of rephrasing. There's a lot. And I was like, Ooh, uh, yeah, this is a little too close to home. I it's can not definitely just because he wants to give a mic though for these women <laughs> who've never got to talk about their sexual experiences. I mean, he, he has his own uses for these, for these. Types, yes. But yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, so I think probably most of these women, you know, these, these women who aren't real, but like if you place them in the reality of this movie, have never been asked questions this openly by a man. So I think it takes it kind of puts them off guard. And I think that is what makes Spader attractive to the mm. women in this movie is yeah. that he's so different from the stereotypical hyper masculine dude, especially I mean, this is the late 80s. Like, there's a lot of hyper-masculinity in the 80s. I mean, this is the time of fucking Top Gun, and this is, like, real hyper-masculinity. So so he kind of fills a role that usually isn't filled. And I think that's why this movie is perfect for a first-time director, because I don't think, you know, Tony Scott ain't making this fucking movie. Like, this is not not where he would go. So you need a director like Soderbergh who's interested in the human experience and how people interact when – they, it's interesting. It's how people interact when they feel like no one's watching, and yet there's a camera in their face. Hmm. Uh, you know, That's a good and, point. And but I think it's, you know, I think also you can just see the skill that Soderbergh has in this movie. Like it's granted, it's hard to know how much of this is me knowing what he's going to become as a director. But man, you watch this movie and you watch the kind of camera movements and the way he focuses on human faces, and you're just like. Yeah, you really know what you're doing. This movie, despite the fact that there's very few actual sex scenes, I think there's two in this movie. And this is a movie that in my head I was like, oh, this is like nine and a half weeks. This just keeps going. Um, It is the best word I can – you know, you, when we did our last movie, used the word intense uh, to describe it. And this movie feels like uncomfortably intimate to me. As I watch it, like not only the the beginning where you find out how unhappy she is, but even all the scenes with Spader, like when when they first meet and they're talking and he's asking all these really these questions of depth. And you can see on her face, I really like her performance in that scene and the scene in the coffee shop where she is she's 
interested, but she's also taken aback. Like, oh, no one's ever asked me a question like that. Like, in my life, I don't right. know. Because her whole life has been one of performance, right? Being the good child, being the good sure. sister, being the good wife. So for someone to just be like, you know, what's that like for you? Is like a shocking moment for you. And kind of every interaction in this movie feels so close and so intimate. Some of that is performance and some of that is direction. Some of that is just pure camera work. Like the fact that in all these sequences where he is doing these interviews, you very rarely have the focus on him. You know, usually the focus is on him from behind. So you see the back of his head or it's the actual camera. Like you're seeing the recording and it's literally just these women's faces and their reactions to the questions he's asking. Sounds like you're turning yourself on to Andy McDowell. Being uh, this get being an Oscar Boy, that got, performance that got so good and so bad. You're turning yourself on, yes, to Andy it's McDowell. Oh it. no, no, Naked James Spader, <laughs> Andy McDowell. Yeah, there's any movie that's going to turn you on. Laura Sanjiacomo, like just yeah, my well. my newest crush. Now I got to see everything yeah, she's in one. now. She's great. <laughs> Absolutely, you're, you're right. There's a certain level of intimacy, um, and you could also make the argument that it's just like scope, right? Like a lot of mm-hmm. those. Uh, you know, those close connections take place in this little bitty shack, right, of a house that he has. Mm-hmm. And the when he is actually interviewing, you know, it's very just slow, right? Everything is just very, you don't need the explosion. You don't need you right. know, even a change in, in someone's cadence, right? It's just these pointed questions in which there's even allowances for pause, right? Where someone yeah. is actually reflecting, like you're saying, is she reflecting on, no one's ever asked me that question before. Is this a question that I can answer, Right. Well, if I can't answer it, why can't I answer it? Do I feel safe? Is this a, you know, a commodious environment? Like all of those things, you get the sense that, that James Spider is allowing for like an individual to marinate, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and, no. And I think yeah. a lot of movies don't allow for that. Um, and it takes, I mean, it takes a lot of guts as a first time sure. filmmaker to do that, to really sit and stew in that silence. Like that's Especially for a movie called sex lies and videotape right? right where people are going into it having a certain okay. expectation and Good. instead we're having these slow moving di- you know slow moving moments of dialogue in which an individual is just talking about you know a reflection on 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 needs and sexual relationships like that's not what i thought that i signed up for yeah. and so you're right it takes a certain level of courage to present that and say no this is what we're talking about we're talking about human relationships we're talking about baggage uh, we're talking about the way in which things that are unresolved tend to be things that continue to harm us over mm-hmm. time. That's the dialogue about sex, lies, and, and videotape. It's not what you think that you are going to to be experiencing. And I think that's actually way more courageous than if this had been a film in which you know we're seeing you know Andy McDowell, you know, full frontal nudity. I mean, I'd be okay with that, but that's you know that's that there that's not what we're getting. Well, you know, yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, good, good choice, Derek. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad I watched this. So, I'm so glad yeah. that you enjoyed it. So, for our next movie, I'm choosing something from your list that has no pauses. Um, is about as far away from this as I can imagine getting. Um, okay, and is a genre of film I usually despise, oh. um, but I don't despise this movie. Um, so we are going to be watching Akira. Uh, oh, okay, nice. So that's that's you know no pauses in that. It's action packed. It's anime, which I usually hate. Um, 
It'll be interesting, I think, to talk about this because I haven't watched this in many years and I'm wondering if this is like 16-year-old Dave like this and 42-year-old <laughs> Dave does not, but we'll see. So that's going to be next. Uh, our next episode will be on on the, I guess, you know, the iconic anime, mm. Akira. It's another film that I um, you know, was almost embarrassed to put on my list, right? Yep. If, if anyone sees this and, and you know they know that I've not seen it, that's pretty embarrassing. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped about watching Akira. I, th- I think for you, uh, and I, I've kind of went back and forth on it a little bit, uh, but I'm thinking we're going to do uh, the original, uh, The Stepford Wives, right? Oh, okay. So since we spent so much time talking about bad marriages, we're going to talk about <laughs> the only way to make one good. Uh, with a little bit of control. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, Lord. All right. My wife won't be getting a link to this episode. It's fine. Yeah. No, no, no. All right. So that will be coming next. We'll do Akira and then the Stepford Wives. Uh, I think the only Stepford Wives I've seen is the one with Nicole Kidman. Uh, so this one will be a little bit different, I assume. Uh, so, you, so you have that to look forward to. So if you would like to follow us and get more, you know, minorly more content on Twitter and things of that nature, you can follow... You can follow us on Twitter at Your List Pod. You can. We also have an Instagram where we'll be putting up pictures of the movies we're watching and whatever else springs to my mind. Also at Your List Pod, and you can follow me at Darn That Dave and Derek at Day Stew. 